What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal, the best podcast for the entrepreneurial mind. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. It is time for another short but actionable Founders Journal interview. I was super excited to chat with my good friend and former podcast co-host, Jesse Puji, the CEO of Venture Studio Gateway X. During our conversation, we talk about one of Jesse's portfolio companies that he co-founded called Growth Assistant, which has been an absolute rocket ship. In just two and a half years, the company has gone from zero to a $10 million run rate and has more than 350 offshore assistants. We talk about a ton of stuff, including how he came up with the idea, why he picked his co-founder and CEO, Adrian, how he thinks about product market fit, what are the biggest lessons from building this business, and what channels have been most important to acquire customers? Take a listen. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Mr. Jesse Puji, welcome back to the podcast. I miss you. I miss you too. It's good to be back. I feel very nostalgic right now, but um, I'm very excited to have you as part of Founders Journal, the rebranded crazy ones, uh, for a little bit of an interview with you. And I think you're the perfect person to interview because you just have so many different experiences building businesses. You have your holding company that you have many businesses under. Today, we're going to focus on Growth Assistant, which has you know, absolutely crushed it over the last few years. Uh, so you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Okay, I guess before we hop into Growth Assistant, can you just quickly give a one or two lines on yourself? Yeah, so m- my name is Jesse Puji. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I built one of the first companies to kind of pioneer digital and Facebook advertising 13 years ago. And now I run a venture studio called Gateway X where Every business kind of has that digital marketing edge at the core of it, and but we launch multiple different businesses. Love it. Okay, so one of the businesses within Gateway X is Growth Assistant. So uh, what is Growth Assistant, and how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so, you know, when you think about how industries have evolved, I, I think of like software engineering 30 years ago, and everyone said, whoa, everyone needs, we need software engineers, they need to write software, we need websites. And there just was so much demand for that skill, but not enough supply. And that gave rise to, hey, let's go to India, let's go to China, let's go to any other country where maybe the labor is cheaper, there's just more labor. And it created this, what's called the BPO industry, business process outsourcing. And so software engineering was the first wave. Then like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we realized all these, you know, customer service moved there. And we saw an opportunity for digital marketing where we said, well, there's the same issue. There's tons of demand for that talent and the needs but not enough supply. So Growth Assistant uh, helps great brands and agencies get high quality offshore digital marketing talent. Um, And the business is roughly $10 million in in run rate kind of revenue. And we have over 350 people in the Philippines already and over 100 customers. It's wild. And just to give a sense to people who aren't in the weeds of digital marketing, what are the sort of tasks that uh, any of your growth assistants are doing for the agency or brands they work with? So there tends to be three very common roles. Uh, we think of it as kind of the core growth assistant, design assistant, um, and then kind of an outreach assistant. And so from a campaign perspective, 
When you run a Facebook campaign, there's a bunch of little things that have to go right. You have to upload a bunch of ads every day. You have to then pull them out and look at the reporting to make sure what's working, what's not working. Depending on your level of spend, you may do that multiple times a day to make sure things are going well. If you're sending out emails all the time, you want to see the different email subjects and how they're trending. So there's just a lot of work that requires someone to go in an interface, pull information, aggregate information, display information. And that's a lot of what the growth assistant in that role will do to, to let the person in the U.S. Have, be a little bit more strategic and think more about where to take the campaigns and what to test and what to experiment with versus having to deal with all this nitty-gritty stuff that has to get done. You know, for design, same thing. You want to create 50 iterations of something. You want to cut 10 different versions of a video. There's a lot of just manual work that needs human judgment but might not need the, the you know, expensive U.S. person you've got doing it, and that's where the kind of growth is. And the, and the last one that's very common is influencer and affiliate has become a huge part of marketing. So if you want to reach out to 20 influencers a day, get them to come on, onboard them, that takes a lot of energy and effort. And that's another great thing that people oftentimes use Growth Assistant for. And so when did you officially launch Growth Assistant? Uh, we bought the domain. I bought it in an auction in February of 2021. How much did it cost? It wasn't bad. It was like four ninety nine. Okay. So it was in 2021, you said? February 21. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, what, two and a half years old now? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... I want to talk about where the business is today and kind of the biggest lessons you've learned from it. But first, I want to talk about the interesting thing about most of your businesses or how I think you think about most of your businesses within Gateway X is like you are the CEO of Gateway X, but you actually aim to not be the CEO of most of your businesses and you're not the CEO of Growth Assistant, right? Nope. So talk about who your CEO is, how you found them and what you saw in them that you thought made them the right fit for this business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Adrienne Schwager is the CEO, um, and she's been awesome. You know, she's been one of my best friends from seventh grade. So we were in math classes together, projects together. We've gone on spring break in college together. I mean, we've known each other forever. Um, and and it's hard to microwave that trust. So I, I think a few buckets. I think one is just trust. I think we trust each other a lot. She trusts me. She knows me. If I'm having a bad day, she doesn't hold it against me. She's like, ah, oh, Jesse, I'm having a bad day, right? And same thing with her. So I think there's a lot of trust there. That was really valuable. You know, I think the other thing is I've seen her as, and this has become a big value as we've hired more CEOs, is just really deep ownership. She just, you know, she takes on something. She fully owns it. She She's very credible, very accountable, very reliable. And I think that's super important in this in this model. And then third, I think, is, is you know, she has an unfair advantage. She worked at a firm called DRW Trading for 14 years. She built out their entire, like, campus recruiting program that would recruit 100 kids a year and scale them to like five or 600 people over five years. So she's actually done all the things you need to do in this business. And so it's a little bit like, you know, Captain Planet, like my powers of understanding marketing and my network combined with her powers of knowing how to build a recruiting machine and engine, they combined to kind of create this uh, really successful business. Love it. And I think one of the things that people probably don't spend enough time thinking about, but it's super important in the early days of a business is like, who is actually your perfect customer? Because especially with a business like yours, right? One of the values you bring to something like growth assistant or any of your businesses is you have a built-in quality audience. And so you can act as a top of funnel to get customers into growth assistant, but not all these customers are the same. Not all of them are going to be great customers. Some will, some won't be. So over the course of, say, the first several months of the business, how did you actually think through who is the right person for us to focus our time on versus isn't and actually would be a waste of our time to uh, have as a customer? 
Yeah, so a couple of fun facts. Uh, my follower count in February of 21 on Twitter was 1,500. I didn't start tweeting until April of 21. Wow. And so the business, people think that this business grew from growth assistant. It was a little bit like, you know, twins that kind of scale together, which, I mean, it was definitely, the audience became very helpful as I grew, like they became the first, one of the first viral threads I wrote was about starting growth assistant, um, which then grew my audience, which also got us leads and sort of became symbiotic in many ways. The, you know, here's a funny thing, and this is like a perfect example of an unfair advantage. Our first 10 to 20 customers were former employees of mine. Oh, wow. Right. Who worked at Ampush, who then were running growth at DoorDash or running growth at uh, Care of or running growth at whatever. And so, you know, I purposely actually didn't think that much about this early on. Now we have an ICP and we have a whole system and we've seen enough data that we can actually create that. In the beginning, I said, let's call Stu. Let's call Lucas. Let's call Sean. Let's call, like, I was just, you know, calling all these former employees and going, hey, remember, because at Ampush, we did have offshore teams, which was like a unique thing of Ampush's value prop for both the employees and for clients. And many former employees actually inspired the idea because they would call me asking for where can I find offshore teams because I'm used to using an offshore team to help me do this. Now I'm running growth at a brand and I've had too much work on my plate. Yeah. And so literally there was my former employees and, and like, not not all of them said yes, but it's like, dude, your former boss is calling you and saying, I've got a new company. And if, if you have even a little bit of a need for it, you're like, all right, Jesse, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll work with you. Well, and it sounds thing. like there was a real need because it was like, this was actually like a quote unquote product that was be, being used in Ampush, but there's no company that actually had this as a product. Exactly, exactly. Super interesting. And so just so I understand, like, okay, now that you've done all the fancy schmancy stuff of laying out an ICP, like who actually is your ICP today? Yeah, so the way we figured out our ICP was we, and you know, this again is like my advice to anyone listening is like you get in and you do stuff. Yep. Don't be false precise up front. You don't know the answer because you haven't done it. But once you've done it, then don't not look at the end, like look at the data. Yep. So we did all this stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we, okay, wow. You know, certain of our customers and certain of our cohorts, they just seem to be magic. Like they just, they had scaled immediately. And, you know, we'd have a customer start with two growth assistants. And then in six months, they'd have 10 growth assistants. And so we obviously went back to our own our own business. We said, okay, well, what tends to be the common thing? So the first thing was kind of the anti-ICP. So a lot of the stuff that came from Twitter were people who were one to five person companies, you know, solopreneurs, which I don't have anything against solopreneurs, but they would tend to bring someone on. They don't have the time to actually manage them. And then three months later, they would churn. They would take as much effort to get going as a venture-backed company that was series A or B had product market fit and just needed resources, right? And so today's ICP is, we, there's three three major buckets, in, and this is in priority order. Number one is we call the GA100, so it, it, growth is 100. So these are basically at any given quarter, the most recently like hot-growing venture-backed startups, or they don't have to be venture-backed, but they're companies that have product market fit are growing super fast, and are, and are scaling. And we know that if we get in them, they just need resources. Yep. And so every quarter we have a bunch that we focus on, try to getting in and having a conversation. The second one is what we call the Ecom 1000. So it's essentially e-commerce business with over 10 million in revenue or over a team of 10 people. So we think all of them should have at least three growth assistants. Um, and then the third one is the agency 1000, which is an agency above 25 people. <clears throat> it was surprising to me as someone who built a pretty big agency that they weren't there weren't a lot of guys using offshore resources, and it's an interesting it's an interesting sell because you never talk to someone today and say, "Hey, do you have you ever heard of offshore?" They go like, "Of course, it's on my list. 
I'm just intimidated. I don't want to start recruiting. I think it's going to take time. And it's in that way, that's a really good offering because they all have it on their list. They just need someone they trust to kind yep. of help them bring it to bear. So those are the three ICPs today. And, and it, we've just noticed those are the ones that all have negative churn or, you know, expansion when you bring them on and you scale them up. And so I think today we're probably at 70% ICP in terms of our, the top of our funnel. And maybe a year ago we were at 30% wow. ICP. Um, there's so much there. I think, uh, first of all, it's like, even though you didn't have a built-in audience, um, when you launched the business, you kind of quasi had a built-in audience. It just wasn't on Twitter and your built-in audience yeah, that's true. trusted you more than an audience on Twitter. Totally. So I think that's huge. And also the, the thing you said about one to five person companies, um, like that's something that I've even realized in kind of building out story arb is like actually a massive component of these businesses is, is there someone who has enough mind space and vested interest to give the business, your business, the time it deserves, because if they don't put the time into it, then they're never going to actually see the value of your offering, which is huge. Um, okay. So let's just quickly talk about a few more things, um, related to just profile of the business. How do you make money? Um, and you, you, you said like, you think of this as a staffing business versus an agency. Does that mean the way you make, make money is different? Like why do you actually make that distinction? How does it help you think about things? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So, you know, we charge per FTE per month. Um, and so, you know, traditional staffing businesses, Hey, how many heads do you need? You know, I, uh, here's what I charge per head. I make my money by I pay the person and I take, you know, kind of what's in the middle. Yep. Right. Uh, it's, to, it's pretty age old business in that sense. Right. I think in, in offshore, you can command a higher premium because the, the ability to get good offshore talent is actually very hard. You know, typically a staffing agency in the United States, if I just find you an engineer, I mark it up 30%. Like our markup is higher than that because we are like identifying really good talent that's so cheap is like people are like, wow, $2,500 or $3,000 a month and this is what the person does? Like yeah. I'm blown away by it. So they, there's usually not a lot of d- discussion or argument or pushback on our, on our what we take. And are you, know, you the other thing is, out of curiosity with clients about what you take? Like do they know or no? We don't rub it in their face explicitly, but but like everybody knows, you know, what yep. someone in the Philippines costs and yep. what we're charging. Got it. Right. Um, and and we'll charge more for like a more specialized role, a database person or something like that. And we'll charge less if it's like an entry. Like so. So there's a little bit of, of sort of texture there. And then, you know, look, we don't <clears throat> and this is something that may change over time. We don't get involved in the work. Right. So that's a big distinction in my mind between an agency and a staffing company. I bring you the people you manage the people, you tell them what to do. I might give you tips on how to do it or templates and things to use, but I'm not actually in between you and the work. And like, so you, and, you know, at Ampush, they'd say, make my CPA go down Ampush with, with Facebook ads. Yep. And we would, we say, don't worry about the people. We're going to handle that problem. We're going to charge you a lot for handling that problem, by the way. We're going to charge you a percentage of what we deliver or whatever. And that's another big distinction, right? And in this business, we just say, well, no, we, you, you've, if you make a lot of value off this person or a little value, that's, that's sort of not our problem. We're going to get you a great person. And that's why it's, it's a very different business. Now, what's been interesting, especially in the GA100, and this is like, it's crazy, is like an ampush, someone would wake up and go, you know what? We, we're spending $2 million a month. We're paying you guys $300,000 a month. We could build a whole team with this. Da, da, da. And almost every one of our big customers would eventually churn. In, in the growth assistant model, it's kind of the opposite. Like we have a few customers that have, let's say, 25, 30 heads. They're across their organization. They're a bunch of individuals. 
they, they can't legally, based on our contract, take them in-house. Like, there are employees. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is they're just like, wow, well, I guess, I guess you know, we have these great people who you guys have staffed. Like, we don't need to go anywhere. We don't. And so that, that's, like, one of the coolest differences between Ampush and this. Like, at Ampush, we sold something that was very strategic, but eventually it would, it would get on the chopping block because companies would want to own it themselves. This is less strategic, but it can get as big, but it's just way more sticky, um, as far as I can tell so far, I'm only two and a half years in, right? Super interesting. But it feels way, way more sticky than, uh, than Ampush did. Yep. And then, uh, you alluded to this earlier, uh, but what will revenue be this month in the business? Revenue, I can pull the dashboard real time. It'll be about 900K. It's wild. Yeah. It's insane. Um, and out of curiosity, across how many customers is that? Um, it's, I can tell you, here's my dashboard. I'll show it to you. Um, wow. And that's midway through the month. We're going to do more onboardings this month. But that's 307 growth assistants, probably across 120 customers, roughly. It's amazing. Um, okay. So I want to spend the rest of our conversation on like lessons that you've had from building this business, um, which has obviously just been a rocket ship in the two and a half years since you've built it. Like it's actually crazy to think about zero to $10 million in run rate in two and a half years. Um, and for people listening, just, I I would say, um, be impressed by that number in terms of like learning lessons from Jesse's progression, but like, do not use that as like the benchmark of like, if you're not growing a business as fast, does not mean you you are failing in your ability to build or scale a business. Yeah. So what are the lessons? I think, um, there's so many, you know, I, I started some other businesses the same time we started this one. So I think one of the biggest businesses is like, Product market fit is real, right? It, it's not a fake thing. When you have it, you know it. Like it's, you know, like the definition of, of hardcore porn, you know it when you see it. And if you don't know if you have it, then you you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're asking the question, you don't have Because in this business, we never had to ask. We were just like, oh my God, we need to get, we need to grow. We need to get people. And so find like the timing and the trends were very right. And I used to be kind of honestly not a believer of that. I thought you could will anything into existence. And I think that's changed a lot in my journey with Gateway X. And so, you know, look, we were coming off of COVID where people were remote everywhere. So all of a sudden the idea of someone being remote in the Philippines didn't seem strange, whereas it did seem strange many, many years prior to that. Um, growth, Digital growth marketing became more and more important during the pandemic because more people bought that way. Um, and, and there's just not enough people out there that know this stuff. And so it was just all these mega trends that came together at one time that really like got the business going, right? So I think that's number one. And just a question on that, do you think that makes you more likely like as you, because of that learning, as you launch future businesses within uh, Gateway X, do you think you're more likely to pull the plug faster than you would have in the past? Yes, and I'm probably more likely to take my time in really making sure I've identified those. Before I was like, ah, just throw them out there and let's see what happens, right? And and I think that's gonna be a little bit different going forward. Got it. yeah, the, the second thing was like, I think we talked about unfair advantages, so I won't repeat that again, but, but, but like the, the, the mixture of us as a team was just magic. Like it really just worked. Uh, the trust, all these components that I talked about earlier really mattered. You know, I always say that you invent something new with every business and you get lucky. In the case of Ampush, we did not plan the business as a Facebook ads business. We were doing lead gen on Google search. And then we happened to experiment with Facebook because Google wasn't working that well and boom. And in the case of Growth Assistant, we were calling my former employees, we were starting to reach out to my network, and then we got to, you know, pretty fast, we grew to 50K in MRR, and I wrote a thread on Twitter as, I think I had 8,000 followers and I wrote it, and all of a sudden I had 16,000 followers and 400 leads. Oh my God. And so, 
you know, and crazy enough, by the way, even after I did that, we didn't create a growth assistant Twitter. And until Nick Sharma was like, Jesse, what are you doing? Like, this is so <laughs> obvious. And I was like, you're right. And so we learned how to do a lot of Twitter content marketing. And that became a huge channel for us, but but that was like not the plan at all. Like that was nowhere in our plan for doing it. So that you learn something, you discover something new, like there is that luck, I think. You know, the other thing I would throw out, especially for people listening, is like Adrian was a first-time entrepreneur. And like a lot of first-time entrepreneurs, she was like, okay, is this legal? That was her first question, right? And I go, I don't even know, and I don't care. She goes, well, should we talk to lawyers? Should we buy a certain type of insurance? I'm like, no, 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 we don't do any of that stuff. Like, all the worrying about whether or not this is legit or not is like we do it at a million or two in revenue because why would we waste any minute on that until we know there's a business here? And so I think we got really good... And she trusts me, luckily, like like my sister, right? So she just listened to me and was like, okay, fine, Jesse. And we just got after it. And then I think that ability really helped us get to a certain place at, at a certain speed. And it was super, super important. And then I think last but not least, like Adrian has a, a, a innate ability to match talent well. It kind of goes to the unfair advantage. But I, I can't mention this the story without she was amazing at kind of talking to people in the Philippines, recruiting, and then going, oh, you'd be great with this customer, and then she was right about it. And that matching, like the product she delivered was very, very strong. And so we got rec- you know, recommendations, we got referrals, other people came out, customers expanded, like a lot of it, there's a lot of good marketing fodder in my network, but there was a ton of really good delivery in terms of the actual talent. And I think that's arguably more critical. Um, I feel like it's such an interesting point also, because again, I think someone looks at this business or a staffing business and they think, like what sort of matchmaking has to happen? Isn't this like a relatively commoditized business where there's like a finite amount of skills that are done by any, uh, you know, uh, growth assistant? And it sounds like from your perspective, there's actually a lot of nuance here in being a good matchmaker of talent and customer. Yeah, I would have, well, I would have guessed what you said prior to running, you know, being a part of the business. Now I've seen how different it's been and, and like, no, I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's very nuanced. And you, the more you learn the customer's culture, the more you, you are with talent, the better that you are. Like it, it makes a big difference. Breakdown for me. So you have, uh, let's call it 300 something, uh, growth assistants right now across, let's call it a hundred something clients. What's been the breakdown on of channels that you've gotten these customers from in terms of Twitter, referral, paid, et cetera? Yeah, I'd say it, it's, uh, we've never done any paid marketing or any, any real meaningful paid marketing. I'd say. Do you think you're going to start soon or no? Yeah, I think at some point we will. Um, we want to get the content machine going well first yep. and then do it. But yeah, I, I think it's, I don't know the answer is the truth. I think, <laughs> I think it's ballpark a third Twitter, a third through my network, and then a third from referral. That'd be Pretty my ballpark. Amazing. It might be a little bit more on Twitter. And, if you look at the history of the business, Twitter is more like fifty or sixty percent. But again, tons of churn from the Twitter, from the Twitter customer base. So, there's, so there's just more variability in quality of lead. Yeah, exactly. Versus the other two, referral and and from my network are all very very good customers. Love right? it. Any more lessons from building this business before we hop? No, I mean I think if you asked Adrian and you you have her on actually, like I think this thing of just do it is really really important. Like. We took we took our first customer sales calls within a month of of deci- buying the domain. We didn't even have a website when we took customer yep. calls because you didn't need one. Just do it. I mean, yep. well, who cares whether we did or didn't? Just do it. You know, <laughs> totally. And if people go, well, you don't have a website. You're weird. Then go build a website. One, right? one last question. One last question for you that 
I feel like actually you can uniquely answer that a lot of companies can't because it takes typically a company so long to go from zero to $900,000 in monthly revenue is how how does the business look different today from let's call it like a year ago. So like when you were at, let's call it a million dollars in uh, run rate versus 10 million, how does like organizationally or process wise, like how do things look different? Yeah, I mean, every, everything is different, right? I, I think like, there's a there's a certain demand momentum coming in and not enough people on our team to even process it. Yep. And and so we would you know Adrian was involved in everything. She was because you know today we're trying to build the business to scale to fifty, let's say, right? And so in order to do that, the reality is the actual output of the business has not increased very much in the last call it six to eight months, but the costs have gone up a lot. And sometimes Adrian's like, "What the hell? I've hired all these people." Like, well, well, no, but. You were just doing, you know, you were the one-man band for a long time, and now you need a person to take care of marketing, a person to take care of sales, a person to take care of matching the clients. And so just getting that infrastructure together, the purpose of it being to get to the next level of growth. Yep. I said, hey, if you want to stay at $10 million and we just now we want to make it a lifestyle business, we could do that. And you could you don't need half these people. And you can just hang out around this number, grow pretty slowly. But yeah. if you want to keep growing it, we need the next level of investment. So there's an enti- like every function that used to happen in Adrian's brain is now a position in the company and then from there, we're now trying to understand where is their incremental, where do you need more resources to create more upside and revenue? And that's not always clear. And like right now, the, the general answer is it's supply constrained business. If I can find you great, cheap, talented people overseas, you will, the, the demand, because even in our current portfolio, we know every time we have a good person, we say, hey, one of these top 10 customers, they go, yeah, sure, I'll take that person, guys. So it's just, can we find the, the supply and can we qualify to match it fast enough? Yeah, it feel, it's so interesting. It feels like where you are with the business is basically, the, the, I'm very visual and the analogy I had in my head is like, you guys were building a bed and breakfast. And at first in the bed and breakfast, Adrian was like the person greeting the people at the door. She was cooking yeah. people's meals, delivering it to totally. the room. She was cleaning the rooms. And, their guys pillows, were, yeah. and yeah, and you were like, okay, you're like, one decision is we could keep the bed and breakfast, but also we could end up building a hotel. And if we build a hotel, we're going to have to put all this money into building the hotel and hiring staff in the kitchen, cleaning, et cetera. And it's going to take time to fill up the hotel. And that's kind of the stage you're at. Totally right. Love it. Jesse, thanks so much for joining the podcast. I'm sure we'll uh, have you on again soon. I miss you, brother. I hope you enjoyed my short but packed conversation with Jesse Puji. Now, I would love to hear from you. What entrepreneur would you love to hear from for a future Founders Journal interview? Shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com and I will try to make your wish come true. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next episode. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.